0: You are about to listen to a message from David Bendett, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love,
1: his word, and his presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the word and get fired up about what God's doing today.
0: Last week in Jeremiah 9:23 and 24 I made it very clear that if you're going to boast, if you're going to claim to have confidence in anything, it needs to be that you understand and know who God is. And the term boast in Jeremiah 9:23 and 24 is another word called glory and it means to clamor, to be to clamor foolishly and to rave. I know a few things about rave except my old raves were tripping, sitting and twirling glow sticks, but now I'm raving about Jesus because I know him. And I'm in my sound mind, not tripped out on drugs. And that if you're going to glory and you're going to boast and you're going to rave, it better not be in your riches and your wisdom and how good you look and your talents and your own abilities, but you rave and you boast and you clamor foolishly in how great God is and that you understand him. And what you understand is that when your sin was fully fully manifested in scarlet. He took a red crimson blood, washed it over. He covered and hid your sin, and then the end result was white as snow. So you take scarlet plus red crimson blood, and that equals white as snow in the kingdom. You see, God covers. You know that you can cover sin in people's lives in a way that produces life because love transforms not religion it doesn't even matter ultimately what we say what i say if the spirit of the lord is behind me it transforms you because when people come into this church they say i don't know what it was pastor but man it was so awesome i felt so much love people don't even remember what i always say i don't even remember what i say every week people say man Last week it was so good. Why was it good? I don't know. I don't even remember what you said. Because it's not so much about what's said, it's about what happens because when your spirit gets awakened, something shifts. And love shifts. Love will transform you. And love can actually hide sin. So, oh, man, you, that, that'll rock your religiosity. Hide sin? Uh, there can't be any hidden sin. You're not understanding what I'm saying. The first thing people mostly want to think is from a religious standpoint, we got to call sin out. I got to call out people's issues. Jesus didn't do that. When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, the time has come. Your time's over, my time's now. This is a Kairos time. This is an appointed time for you. Change the way you think. Drop your nets and follow me. Because when the Spirit came and the anointing came, they knew that he had to be somebody great. They didn't fully know yet who he was, but they knew he was enough to stop what they were doing and follow him. That's what the Spirit does. That's what the wind and the breath of God does. The best way that I can prove to you God exists is when you get a manifest touch of his presence and something happens and something shifts and you say, I know God was there. Yeah. And God will use all kinds of tactics to do that. All kinds of tactics. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy. He knows everything about you. He knows every number of your hair, every hair on your head. He knows which blows my mind because every time I'm in the shower, I got all kinds of hair falling out. I'm thinking, <laughs> Lord, how, do you, how did you figure all that hair that came out and you still know? That's how incredible he is to me. I'm fascinated because I understand and I know, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, that he's full of loving kindness and he's merciful and he exercises, which means he's constantly moving and, and it's an action term of he's always doing justice on the face of the earth, and he's full of loving kindness. He's full of it. And you've got to know and understand who God is in these days and these hours. It's not about religion or traditions of man. It's about the beauty and the wonder and the radiance and the power of who he is and his life and his presence in your life. That's what it really comes down to. And he can take the worst of the worst and forgive, and it doesn't make sense. And some people don't understand that. I've had somebody, somebody once told me that there was a church that they were going to that they really liked, and they found out that the pastor had been committed of a very serious crime and had spent a lot of time in prison and then came out, and now he was on fire and his church had grown to over 1,000 people. But this guy said, I can't go to that guy's church. I, don't, I, I can't forgive what that guy did. But God can. And God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. If you, and it says the weakness of God is of the strongest of men, of the wisest of men. And I said, God, where are you weak? How can there be a weakness of God? Let me help you. The weakness of God is the understanding that God took you And you and me, when I was completely destitute, when I was an outcast, when I had no hope whatsoever, when I was a complete failure, he took me, made me his, and I became the weakness of God, and then he transformed me into his image and likeness. And the Bible says that in our weakness... His strength is made perfect. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. That doesn't make any sense, and I don't want to go too far over your head, but Paul said that statement in the context. He said, because of the abundance of revelations, so that I wouldn't get prideful and haughty and arrogant and cocky and think that I was really good, God put a thorn in my flesh. Now, that'll rock your theology. And if people argue, what could ever have that thorn in his flesh be? It doesn't matter. The point is, is it was a weakness. And God was reminding him of the frailty of his humanity in the midst of overwhelming supernatural revelations. Because God wants you to have revelation. God wants you to understand the mysteries of God. You see, the Bible says that we know the, mis- we speak the mysteries of God Through Jesus, the hidden mysteries of God that were reserved, we can now know through Jesus Christ. The word mystery is the word musterion, and it means to get a secret. And the creator of the universe wants to reveal the tapestry of his love and how he choreographed everything from the birds of the sky to the ocean to the the stars to all creation, he choreographed it. And you can learn how he choreographed and orchestrated everything by knowing him. But as you begin to get so many revelations and understanding and as he opens up things to you and you begin to get the secrets from the secret place, which you can only get by spending time with him, by the way. And if you want to know the mysteries, then nothing can replace time spent. Not coming to this church, not going once or twice a week, not reading somebody else's books or somebody else's mystery or revelation. You have got to get a revelation of Jesus Christ first for yourself. And when you invest time and you spend time with him, he honors that. And in turn, you begin to gain understanding. But we're all still prone to weakness. And we're all still prone to shortcomings and short-sightedness. No one is perfect in the sense of without sin. But we can all be perfect in the context of love. Because he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That means to have Telios' vision of the father and how he loves and to demonstrate that love here on earth but you can't know it until you get it for yourself and when you get rocked by god's love personally it changes everything it changes how you see things it changes how you live it changes how you think it changes how you treat other people hence love and i'll show it to you today love covers the word cover means to hide and keep it secret so people come to me all the time pastor i've done this that's all right come here the blood of Jesus, because he covered my sin. But religion says you better, you better nitpick, you better, you better call people out. And of course we tell people when they're not doing the things that are according to God's word, but we do it from a wind-driven perspective because God wants you to be spiritual. Another way to say spiritual other than wind-driven or spirit or driven by God's inspiration and breath is the other word for spiritual pneumaticos in the Greek is non-carnal. It means non-carnal. It means non-animal-like because carnal is where we get the word carnivore, meat-eating flesh, and the, pre- the premises is that God doesn't want you to have an animal nature because if you have an animal nature, you won't be wind-driven, and when you do judge, you'll judge erroneously, hence so much of the religion that we all grew up in that was dysfunctional and when people pointed fingers at us and tried to control us and, and make us conform to their image instead of God's image, that's what religion does. And religion, somebody without the spirit that is especially non—or especially that's carnal will judge erroneously. But God says the spiritual judges all things that are spiritual. So when you're wind-driven and non-carnal, I can look at your life and say what is not wind-driven and non-spiritual in your life. If there's carnal things in your life, I can lovingly point you to God's word and God's truth and cover your sin through the blood and cause you to be transformed and to grow and to spring up into life. As a wonderful tree. And I'm constantly in this process of trying to help people overcome the obstacles and the hurdles of religion, especially atheists. Because many atheists, what they've seen has not been the true gospel and true love. They've not seen a walking representation of true love. And they've not surrendered their heart and said, you know what, I'm willing. I'm willing, Lord, because the very first principle and elementary principle and foundation of faith, of of, of Christianity is faith towards God. It's the first thing. I shared that with you last week Hebrews 11:6. Those who come to God without faith it's impossible to please God. Those who come to him first must believe that he is, so God is. You got to believe that in every situation when you come to him God is. In in every situation it's your sickness hardships, difficulties, uncertainties, challenges, financing. If you have a God is mentality, then when you come to him, you already know he's going to take care of you. And that pleases him. And then he rewards you diligently. So until we get to that place, you're not going to understand and know. That's why in Christianity, you first have to take the step of faith before you understand. But many people say, God, I want to fully understand. But they don't have faith and they don't take the step of faith. That's why the walk of faith is how we live. But that's an elementary principle. That's just where it starts. We've got to move on from there, Hebrews 6. We move on from the elementary principles of faith, of, of the doctrine, having faith towards God, laying on of hands. I mean, these are some supernatural things the resurrection, laying on of hands, repentance from dead works. But that takes time and process. Some of you, I just want you to get one revelation, and that requires a sacrifice. But Jesus did it already, and his blood was shed. Now, every single one of us can be washed and cleansed and covered no matter what you've been through and no matter what you faced. That's the power of the cross. Oh, the cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. And the wonderful resurrection. Because not only did he die, but he now lives. He died for us, but then he rose again to give us newness of life and show us how to walk in the newness of life. And so this is your time. This is your time. Thank you, Jaron, for what you're doing. People give Christianity a stereotype and they think we're all the same. We're not. The KKK calls themselves Christians. You Go read, listen, if you're uncertain about that, go read Psalm 73. uh, In Psalm 73, David's main worship leader, his main choir director, Asaph, was ready to throw in the towel and he said, here's the guy that's been leading the tabernacle of David in praise night and day, experiencing the wonder of God. And then he starts looking at the people of the world who lay claim to God and saying that they know him and they seem to not have any issues and they're prospering and they got all this money and they got all this stuff. And Asaph says, I've come to the Lord in vain. This has been a waste of time. I've washed myself in innocence for no good reason. That's the Deception. The deception is, is when you start looking at other people and comparing yourself instead of looking to Jesus and understanding what he did for you. See, Jesus gave his life for me. I know he gave it for you, but I'm so happy that he would have done it just for me. Yeah. Yeah. He would have done he did it just for you. You are his purpose. And he betrothed you. Which means if you give your life to Christ, you're engaged. And guess what? He's not never gonna break off the engagement say oh well well i can walk away yeah i can walk away but he'll still pursue me because i've walked away before and he's always pursued me and i know that he loves me and i know how he feels about me and i know what is available when i run back to him because i've read psalm 51 a thousand times you know why i've read psalm 51 a thousand times because that's probably how many times i failed just like david did and when david slept with Bathsheba, and was caught by the prophet Nathan. He wrote Psalm 51, and he said right off the, the bat, Lord, have mercy on me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Multitude means gargantuous. Multitude means it's unending. So his tender, he's tender, and his mercy is there and available for you, and there's so much of it that you can't contain it. And then I go to Hebrews chapter 4 where it says he's now my high priest, and I can approach the throne of grace, to, or the seat, the mercy seat, to obtain mercy and grace whenever I want it. How often do you need mercy in your life? Sometimes, a few times, every now and then. Every day. I'm always needing the mercy of the Lord. Hence, I'm always taking a trip. I'm like a throne traveler. <laughs> because he says, approach the throne whenever you have need. And David said, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness, because we're, are, we're always going to battle this old carnal nature, even though it's been crucified, and the Bible says it is, and even though I've been perfected, I'm also being sanctified. So I'm perfect in his eyes when I come to him, but now I've got to walk out the process of sanctification, which is regeneration by the Holy Spirit. It's a generator. Regeneration is the fired up generator inside of me and the working of God to make me like him by his Holy Spirit, and that's a process. Hence, you must have compassion and grace on other people. He's done it for you. How could you not for others? David understood a component of God. When he came to the Lord, he said, wash me with hyssop. Cleanse me and I'll be clean. Purify me and I'll be pure. Create in me a clean heart. I know this this psalm all too well. Because I know I'm prone to weakness myself. And I've learned that he's a fountain to run back to over and over and over again. But if you were raised in dysfunction and you try to view the Heavenly Father the way some of you were raised with your earthly father or pastors or ministers that try to get you to conform and use you and abuse you and wanted you to have uniformity instead of unity by the Spirit, which unfortunately so many churches are like that, if that's happened to you, God has something better for you. And you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater like so many people do because pe- there's people not here today, and many of us stop going to church because of the dysfunction that we saw. But now God's raising up a new breed of passionate, lovesick, wild-eyed, wondered worshipers that don't care anymore, that are nonconformists, like Gideon, that tore down the altar of his father and, and turned the whole city upside down. And even though he did it sheepishly in the night so nobody would see him, God still honored it. When God says, hey, mighty man of valor, Gideon says, you got to be kidding. This is a joke. I'm paraphrasing. If God's really, really? If that's true, then where have you been all this time? And he didn't even. The the angel of the Lord didn't even care, didn't even pay attention to that. Because when God identifies you and when God sets his eyes on you and when God pursues you because he loves you, and you recognize and realize that he's coming after you like a freight train. I'm talking, you picture a locomotive going right through the center of your eyes right now. That is the train of his love and his power is coming after you, and the word that Eric gave today and the songs that we sang and the understanding of the word is the is the fact that we're coming to the place where no man will say, no have to know the Lord anymore because every house will know the Lord like the, like the water covers the sea, in the sea all over the world because he loves you. And if you've ever said, God, I want what you want. If you've ever said, Lord, I'll give you my best. If you've ever said, God, I'll do anything that you want, then you prayed a dangerous prayer because then God comes and he strips away anything and everything in your life that would keep you back from him. He doesn't do it to everybody. Sin has a way of destroying people. When you don't know God, you inevitably beat your head against a wall. You inevitably continuously chase after things you don't have. You can have all the money in the world and not be happy. But when you know God and if you're born again and if you've ever said, God, I want what you want, then anything that's keeping you back from him, he's going to strip away. And then we want to blame the devil. (laughs) But God knows what's best for you. And if you said, Dad, be my dad. Dad, be my dad. Then the daddy, daddy God says, I'm going to watch out for you. And that's going to do you harm. Now, I'll let you learn from it and realize it. But as I start stripping things out of your life, I'm stripping them out of your life so I can bring you to a place where you can contain and sustain everything that I have for you because what I have for you is better than what you got now. What I have for you is better than what you have now. And we can be short-sighted and not understand that because we've worked so hard and I built my kingdom, my empire, my 401K, my retirement plan, my future ranch. (laughs) If you say to yourself, I just want to make a million dollars and really be wealthy so I can give it back to the kingdom, you've fallen into the deception already. In the name of God. Oh, but my intentions are right. No, they're not. Because if ever your first focus is I'm going to make a lot of money so I can give it back to the kingdom, of course we would want to do that. But our first focus has to be on the lordship of Christ. And then he determines whether it would be good for me to have it or not. Because if I get something prematurely that I can't sustain or contain, it'll kill me and it'll afford a process that God wants to do. But you don't understand that right now because we think if you just won the lottery, you know you would be a good steward. But no, you really don't know. Stop buying the lottery ticket. I know I convicted you a lot of you right now, but hey, that's what I do good. Because what happens is is that pursuit ultimately becomes your master, even if it's with a good intention, because we all know that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not about your good intentions. It's about your surrender and your lordship to Christ. Because when Paul said no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit, it means that nobody can fully understand the lordship of Christ and live it without the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. Because I've seen people that don't know the Lord that are Satanists say, Jesus is Lord. I wear a big motorcycle patch with the tribe of Judah that says, Jesus is Lord on it. People say it all the time, Jesus is Lord, Jesus "Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say, Jesus is Lord. But nobody can say and understand and comprehend and live and walk it out and have the knowledge and understanding of what that means. But by the Holy Spirit, that's why you have to do three things at one time, and it starts with following Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you'll take up your cross and you'll deny yourself. Taking up your cross and denying yourself comes from, Lord, I want to follow you and I want to look to you. And he says, okay, if you really want that, then that sin in your life or this thing in your life or that relationship in your life or this pursuit that you have in your life, anything and everything, whether it's a career, whether it's a uh, education, college, whatever it is, it all has to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Because this isn't about your career or what you're going to do next or your future or all the money you're going to make. You don't even go to college without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Trust me. I would never have gone to And I'm a degree guy. I went to Oral Roberts University. I graduated with honors from there with a degree in organizational relations. And I chose because the Lord was leading me, not because anybody else pushed me. Because I did not want to go to Oral Roberts University. Because my dad always told me that Oral and Richard Roberts were big crooks. And I was out to, to, to honor my dad instead of honor my dad. And so I did everything I could to fight from going to that college. But then one year, 2006, I saw a U.S. News & World Report that said Oral Roberts University was ranked 29th in the nation amongst, amongst, highest, uh, amongst private colleges with highest academic standards. And God got me because God had a way. And he twisted my arm even when I said no because when I said, God, I want what you want, He called me to Corpus Christi, for goodness sakes. (laughs) And I didn't want to come. And many of you here understand that. When you say Jesus is Lord, it means he's Lord and all. He's not just your, Lord, your Savior. Many people want a Savior that rescues you. See, Savior, soteria, salvation, Savior, deliverance. He sets you free. God, rescue me. But it's way more than that. That's just the first step because I'm going to rescue you to make you. I'm going to cut you to create you. See, if you look up in Psalm 51 when David said, create in me a clean heart, if you look up the word create, the very first definition of create means to cut down. Go look it up. I already know this. That's the first definition. I'll tell you the definition in sequence. It goes like this. Choose me, cut me, make me, create me, send me. Then choose me, cut me, make me, create me, send me. It's a cyclical pattern. It's called replenish. So it's a circle of creation. Creation never stops. God is still creating today. He's creating just as much today as He did then because the Spirit of the Lord hovered over a void in the earth. The earth was without form and void, and He called light, commanded light out of darkness. The Holy Spirit is hovering like lights colorful beautiful lights he's hovering like a mother hen over her chicks with expectation for you so you're his expectation he's coaching you he's probing you he's challenging you he's pushing you he's not saying you're such a screw up you're such a failure what's the matter we're the ones that fall into victim mentality but he's good daddy and so good daddy says come on son i believe in you it's never too late i'm for you i'm challenging you this is the best is yet to come you're going to have your best years at the end of your life than at the beginning cuz better's the end Than the beginning, and you rise to the occasion. The enemy is always working to keep you oppressed and to keep you down. That's why I'm in the process to get you out of it, and that's why when we come here, God choreographs this service, and what I say, not me. I got plenty of notes and studied every day all week. He is the master choreographer. And he choreographs your life because you are his purpose. You are his purpose. And he did it all just for you. And he cares and he loves and he challenges. And now when you come to church, you don't come with, what am I going to get? What's pastor going to feed me? Because you've been feeding every day in the secret place. And now you come with the opportunity to give back to somebody else. And you give just by being here so that if God has me transition this whole service for 1% of the people, And that 1% gets awakened and snapped out of religious dysfunction and gives your life, you give your life to Jesus Christ. Suddenly, when you pop out of the ground as a new seedling, you go, you pop out and you go, there's a garden here. I'm not a weed in the desert. I'm a beautiful plant coming up out, and I need other trees to nourish me and give me life. You're a tree, you're a tree, you're a tree. And so now, instead of it being about you, you come and you realize that God is constantly bringing people into the fullness of the kingdom and the garden. He's using Rock City Church. He did it for you. Many of you have been awakened by coming to this church. And if you get awakened, then you understand you have a responsibility to give it back. And when we come here, we come here for a much greater purpose than just feed me my little meal on Sunday morning. Because it's the spirit that you need. And the Spirit transforms and the Spirit gives life and the Spirit teaches and the Spirit writes you into a living epistle, not the letter of ink. Ink can't write you, wind writes you. And you say, Well, Pastor, come on. Give Give me the word. Give me the letter of the word. I will give you the word and lots of it. And the Holy Spirit will write on your heart if you'll let him. And when the Holy Spirit writes on you, you don't even know. Just I I don't even know what happened. I got saved. I don't even remember answering an altar call. I'm just loving Jesus now, and he's my Lord. Because if Jesus is Lord, then he is Lord. What a deep saying that is, right? Now, I don't watch too many of the end-time prepper shows, but I get a kick out of these end-time prepper shows. I really do get a kick out of them. And I do realize that we have to have some preparation. I do realize that. You know how I realized that? When the electricity went out a few months ago and and our food was spoiling and my wife was miserable and we didn't have any electricity or noise to sleep at night and the house was really cold because it got cold that night and all these crazy things started happening. And I was like, man, I really wish I would have gotten a plug into my electrical panel to use my generator so that I could at least have some lights and at least keep my fridge on, because I have a generator. Now, I'm not telling all of you to make a run on generators today, nor am I telling you guys to go get your electrical panel hooked up to plug it in, but it's not a bad idea because Corpus is prone to storms and the power going out. And so I'm thinking, man, i got to be prepared for that, because it could happen again. Remember last year when, some, when the water got contaminated with Ebola? E. coli. <laughs> That's how much I know. Shoot. Ebola, E. coli, I mean, you see how much I paid attention? I I mean, I can assure you that on the end-time prepper scale, if there was an end-time prepper scale according to the world, I'd be like negative 100. But when, when E. coli got into the water here in the bluff, it affected my business, it affected... We were all under a, boil, a water boil, the whole city was, and it wasn't very fun. And there was a run on bottled water at HEB, and all the, remember that? I mean, everybody was running to buy bottled water, and I thought, man, I really need to have some bottled water. And I realized that these things can happen, but it's not fear driven, it's an understanding that it can happen. And like I said, I'm probably not really a very good end time prepper in the case of the world. And I do think there's some things that we should be smart on. We should have some money tucked away in savings that we could get to quickly. We should do some things in case the power or the electricity goes out. You know, we understand those things. And some people take it a little further than others. And some people have a real passion for that. And I'm telling you again, I'm probably not very good on that scale. But according to the spiritual end time prepper scale, I think I'm doing really good. I mean, if there was a spiritual end time prepper scale, according to the Bible, I think that I'm doing pretty good because what my Bible shows me is that we prep this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says that the end of all things is at hand. Now, the word end in the Greek is the word telos, and it's very similar to the word teleos, which means perfect. The word end, telos, or the finality, or the target with which we've been aiming at, that's what the word telos means. It's where we get the word telescope. Okay? The thing that we've been looking at this entire time and believing for and looking towards is at hand the end, the finality that I've been aiming at. And again, the word telos is tied into the word telescope, and teleos is the word perfect, which means God wants you to have teleos telos, which means perfect aim. Because if any of you shoot guns at all, rifles, if you have a scope on that rifle, That's not dialed in with perfect aim. You're going to miss the mark every time. So God wants you to be like a telescope with perfect aim, seeing where you're going, having a vision towards where you're running, looking at the Lord the entire time with your scope perfectly dialed in. And you know how my scope gets perfect is through love. Because the one time that that see Jesus was perfected, that's teleos. He was made perfect. He's perfect love, right? God is love. Follow me. I may go over some of your head. Just follow me. I'm going to serve you some meat this morning. Okay? The context of the scripture that says be perfect as your father in heaven perfect is all in the setting of love. He's saying you can love like I love. You can do it. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I'm learning how to do that. This has nothing to do with religion. has nothing to do with you better stop your sin. This has nothing to do with that. Of course God wants to transform us, but what transforms you? His love does. And so when I understand his perfect love for myself, now I can have telescopic vision for you. Now I'm looking at a mark and I'm proclaiming that you will become like him as I show it to you. Because I see you through his eyes. He's got a perfect scope. And he's got his sight set on you. He's got his sight set on you. And he's dialed in the scope with perfect love. And he's saying, be looking at me because I am the finality. The end of all things is at hand. Okay? The word at hand in the Greek, if you study it out, means it's approaching and coming near. I said, God, is the end right now? He said, no, the end's not now. But you're experiencing components of the end. And you're seeing the signs around you, Matthew 24. You're seeing the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars and all the crazy things happening. But none of that is my focus. I'm not overly focused and concerned on ISIS and the presidency and all these other things. Because if I'm not careful, I'll get distracted by that. I have to have perfect telescopic vision of what God wants to do in me right now. Because if the end of all things is at hand, it means he's got something really big for you to do. And it means that he wants your vision to be perfect and the sight of your scope to be dialed in so you can see him clearly and know what it is that he's saying and he's doing. This is end time preparation. It's approaching and it's coming fast. It's approaching and it's coming fast. Let's pull that scripture up. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So if the end of all things is at hand, It means to be serious and watchful or sober-minded. The term sober, 1 Peter 4.7. The term sober, the term sober means sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear but of a sound mind. It means that I'm, I'm always diligent about everything that I do. It means no matter what I do and where I go, I'm purposeful in it, okay? So he wants you. The ends at hand, here's your preparation orders. Be serious or sober-minded and watchful in your prayers. It means I'm always looking, I'm always expectant, I'm always believing. I'm always hoping. My eyes are wide open, and I'm watchful in the midst of my prayers. Now, these are all awesome things, but I just got to get some of you to pray. If I can just get some of you to start praying... It's one thing to understand what it means to have a sound mind and to be sober-minded and everything that you do and to be non-carnal and spirit-led and have mysteries and revelations. Those are all things you grow in into a maturity. But for some of you, I can't even get you into the secret place to start praying communing because you have a warped understanding of prayer. You don't know how to pray. So we're going to study that for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, this whole 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 is one sentence. I can't get it all up on the screen, so we're going to break it down into three parts. It's all one sentence. They all go hand in hand here. So we're going to talk about prayer. You better get this thing down first. So the the word rejoice in the Greek means to be cheerful at all times. Now, if you're an introvert, you're going to really like this definition because it also means to be calmly happy and well-off. Because <laughs> when I say be cheerful at all times, some of you may have just thought, oh gosh, that means i got to be wild and loud and overly extravagant and boisterous. No, that's not what that means, though, because that's a personality thing for me. The point is, is that no matter what you face, you're happy inside at all times this word rejoice is similar to the it's it's spelled in the greek c-h-a-i-r-o Cairo, but it's different than the word "Cairo," which is an appointed time this word "Cairo" means to to be happy and to be well off at all times and so god wants you to first have confidence and boldness in who he is and to have his inner peace and his strength and to have cheer and to know that it's going to be well for you Because God is. That's faith. So I first teach you to have faith in God and to know that he loves you and that you can come to him in the time of need. And he wants you to not worry or fret or be afraid or let the circumstances of this world hold you back and hold you down. He wants to snap you out of victim mentality and make you an overcomer. But that starts with first having joy and being happy on the inside, rejoicing always. How often are you supposed to rejoice? All the time. So then that leads to verse 17, which says, pray without ceasing. Now this, there's a lot of different words for prayer. There's a lot of different words for prayer. This, and there's a lot of different ways to pray, but this word for pray is the word proskumai in the Greek. And what this this word means, it means to pray always with a worshipful attitude. This is different than petitioning God, which is a different word for prayer. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts out first with our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your your name. So when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, it all starts with an attitude of worship and Lord, I love you. And so you can constantly keep that scripture up. How do you pray without ceasing? Some of you think in in a compartmentalized way, like I have to dedicate every other minute Every spare minute that I have my lunch hour, everything into going into my closet and always talking to God. See, prayer is two-way communication. I've learned to do more listening than I do talking. I sit with the Lord in an attitude of worship, and I commune with him. And I have that attitude of worship in my heart continuously. So I pray, I proskumai with a worshipful attitude. You know, I have Sirius XM in all my cars. I don't even know why anymore. I'm coming to the spot where I need to just cancel the subscription because we don't listen to it anymore. And instead, I've switched over to Pandora or Apple Music or even YouTube Music, and I'm listening to Christian rap, Christian reggae, Christian rock, and all these things. And I used to do that a lot when I first gave my life to the Lord. But slowly, I start, you know, and I like some classic rock, and I listen to some secular music. I like jazz. I like those other things as well, but I'm constantly finding myself listening more to Bethel music and worship music because I'm feeding myself. I'm to the spot where I want to nourish myself with a renewed mind constantly all the time. It doesn't mean that the other thing's bad. It just means that I want more. So instead of the voice, I now am bored with it and I want to spend time reading my Bible or talking with my wife and having family time. Doesn't mean that the voice is bad or a TV show that you like. The point is, is I get so fascinated and i'm so captured by the heart of god that i want him more than anything else and i can't make that happen in you i can't teach you that i can't pound it into you but instead i can tell you how awesome it is and how wonderful it is and i can spur you on to more and to tell you that god will cover you and he loves you and i cover you because the presence of god is here and guess what there's a lot of sinners here too and so the lord shows up and his presence is awesome And he's hovering and he's dancing over this congregation in the midst of people that have sin patterns and darkness and animal nature in your life. Because that's what the Lord does. Is he constantly hovers over you, calling you, calling your light out of that darkness in love and tenderness and patience in mercy. His mercy is gargantuous. So you can pray without ceasing. Without ceasing is not just such a simple term. It means that I'm not omitting anything and I'm uninterrupted. I'm not hiding anything from God because he already knows. I'm coming to God just as I am. This is what without ceasing means because what will cause you to stop? See, without ceasing is the opposite of unintermittent. You know what intermittent means? Intermittent means every now and then. A little here, a little there. I pray a little bit. I do a little bit. That's not how God wants you to pray. It's uh, He wants you to pray unintermittently. It means constant communion. It means uninterrupted. And that's why when you get to a place where you say, I really want to be spirit-led in all I do, anything that's interrupting you has to go. And that's why I'm constantly convicted about because I like to work out. I want to be ho- holistic in every area of my life. But I can't tell you how many times... I'm going to the gym, and God stops me and says, No, you're going to talk to me now. And some of you, like, you're, not, you're never going to give up your gym time because God will give you another time. And anything that's an idol in your life, He'll remove. If you want Him to. So, without ceasing means I'm not hiding anything and it's permanent. Everybody say permanent. Praying without ceasing. And then he wants you to be thankful. See, an attitude of gratitude, you can enter his courts with thanksgiving, but when things are hard and you can't pay your bills and you don't know where your next meal's coming from, or your daughter or your son just did something really, really bad that they shouldn't have done, or something really bad happened in your life, some sort of crisis situation happened in your life, you learn to always rejoice and to pray and to trust and to worship and to give thanks in the midst of all things. But the key to this part of the scripture is the first word, in. In. Not for. Yes, God is sovereign, but He doesn't create the horrible things that we see around us. I'm never giving thanks when a car accident happens for that car accident. I'm never giving thanks for losing a job. I'm never giving thanks for when a crisis happens to a family member, sickness, or illness happens. But the key is the word in. Let's pull that scripture back up. In is the key. That in the midst of all things, I have a thankful heart. Look at the scripture. How, how often in everything? How often do you rejoice? Always. So everything means everything. That means I have an attitude of gratitude. And here's the thing. How many of you want to know the will of God? Then I just gave you your answer. Because this is God's will. And you want to be an end time prepper? I want to be a spiritual end time prepper. I want to rejoice always. I want to pray without ceasing. I want to give thanks in the midst of all situations. I want to be watchful, and I want to be sober. See, the word sober also means to be discreet. It means that I'm paying attention to what I do, when I do it, and who I do it around, and how I live my life because there's a cloud of witnesses always watching and surrounding us. So you want to know the will of God? The word will... In the Greek, you know, I love breaking down the Greek because it gives me such, it opens up caverns and treasures of understanding. I'm not trying to overwhelm you, and that's why I'm not giving you all the Greek words because we won't remember them. I remember some, but not all of them unless I can correlate them together. There's a lot of words. I mean, my mom's Greek. She could break them all down better than I can. I'm half Greek, but unfortunately, I didn't learn it when I was a child. So God says, that's okay. I'm going to teach it to you again. I may not speak the language fully, but I'm going to know a lot about the language because this is how the Bible was written. So knowing it in the Greek is really good because one Greek word has a plethora of understanding. For example, the will of God. If I ask most people, tell me what the will of God means. Man, can you imagine the answers? So I'll just give you the answer of what it means in the Greek. It means the determination, the purpose, the decree, his good pleasure, and what he's inclining you to do. So his inclination towards me. His decree for me, his purpose for me, what he has determined in my life is that I would always be having my eyes on him, be watchful, be purposeful, and never have fear, and to have great faith and to rejoice always in all things and to be thankful because gratitude moves the heart of God at all times. But we're prone to complaining. We're prone to seeing what we don't have. From sicknesses in our body to not having good friends. To all of our problems and all of the issues and we complain and we're negative and all these, this is not God's will for you. And so if you've been that way, you've got to repent. You've got to shift the way that you think. And that's what I'm trying to do with you this morning is shift your thinking to understanding that you can rejoice always and the very foundation of Christianity is faith towards God. So i got to get you to have some faith. Start believing again. Break out of your cycle of dysfunction. Stop acting like an animal. Stop listening to Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Sorry. Some of you don't like that. But, but animalnature.com. Call it out for what it is. Does Doesn't mean God doesn't love her? I mean, you care about Miley? Pray for her. Stop partaking in her animal nature. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 19, don't quench the spirit. I like this word quench because it's directly correlated to putting a fire out. If you actually look up the word quench, it means to be a fire extinguisher. It's the very word for extinguish a fire. God wants you to be on fire. He wants us all to be on fire. And if you're not careful, you'll quench the spirit. And you can do that by, verse 20, despising prophecies. To despise something means to, to have contempt for it. it. means to not esteem it at all or to set it at naught. It's very similar to the word rejecting. And the word rejecting in the Greek is the where we get the word apathy. And some of you have gotten apathy towards prophecy. Some of you tried to watch the the Azusa Now yesterday, and it was almost offensive to you because it was so much crying out. We were hoping for a nice rock concert or a show or some supernatural miracle for God to appear in some shining cloud. But instead, he was healing people and calling people out, and people were getting touched while they cried out in an unorderly fashion. Tongues, screaming, and I was like, man... So turn that on. It's like, you, it's like, I'm going to watch TV today. And it's like, shikarabaka, rabaka, rabaka, God, get on your knees. Oh, cry out, cry out. Because that's how you move heaven. And it will defy your intellect. And it will call you to do and to be something that in your natural, orderly way would never be. Amber came home and said, why is this futon cover on the floor? I said, because I was on my knees praying. And she giggled. I giggled. She said, couldn't you have gone to that other little rug over there by the bed? I said, no, I needed a futon cover. (laughs) You never knew what was going to happen. You can't be apathetic. If you're going to judge, you only judge by the Spirit and you're wind-driven. Otherwise, stop being critical. Stop being a despiser. People don't come to churches like this because they're critical and they're apathetic. I loved when our sound guy came to do the lights. He goes, man, I was so blown away. I didn't see any snakes. (laughs) I went, excuse me? He goes, yeah, the things I'd heard about that church, when you start moving in the spirit and praying in tongues and casting out demons and do what Jesus did, you will get a reputation. And the devil will magnify that reputation to make you seem really weird, out of place, unorthodox, and this is not God, trust me. See, when Jesus suffered, see, he learned obedience through suffering, and the suffering that he suffered was the suffering of being persecuted continuously unto death. That suffering. And at some point, you move out of suffering to overcome your flesh to suffering for the king. Now, suffering to overcome your flesh is a part of it. But that's not real suffering. That's basic, foundational suffering. Where finally I'm like, man, I give up. I don't even want to do that sin anymore, for goodness sake. Sheesh, it's not worth it. It's just the, the the pleasure may be for a moment, but this thing's killing me. I just don't want it anymore. It says, gotcha. Gotcha right where I want you. Now I'm gonna show you what real suffering is. I want you to go out onto the street corners and tell people that I love them and hand out some bottled water. I want you to go out when the bars close, play some drums out there. It's gonna look really silly and foolish. But when people get out, you just worship like all of our radical young adults are doing here at this church that are going out and doing none. They're not going out preaching hellfire and brimstone and not yelling people instead. They're loving people because love covers a multitude of sins so he doesn't want you to despise the wind and the breath of god you've got to be wind driven by his breath and you've got to believe in prophecy and that god wants all of you to prophecy i was watching sean bolts i know i'm gonna run out of time but that's all right i was watching sean bolts and sean bolts said yesterday when he was calling people out by name and their addresses this has been happening in his life Listen, it's an easy thing for the Lord. He knows everything anyway. It's not that hard for God to n- know your social security number and use somebody to tell it to you. It's a little wild and, and unconventional, but God uses unconventional warfare all the time. That's who he is, and he's not doing it to manipulate, and even Sean Boltz will tell you he's very humble about it. He's always nervous, and he's like, man, it's just God loves me, and if I can do it, you can do it. And he kept saying that. This isn't just for me. You can do it too. And I'm watching. And I'm listening. He's like, you can do it too. He wants you to do it, and he stretched He wants you to do it. And I'm not going to just walk in here and try to pretend and come up with names and numbers. I am going to start practicing it because God uses prophecy. And I can prophesy right now. I can speak over any one of you. I may not get names and addresses and phone numbers, and I may, but I'll never know until I try. And after years of trying, I get a little bit better at it. So when I speak a word, I understand that God says, this is the best time of your life right now. You thought it was then, but this is it. You better take it. Oh, I, I've taken. It. <laughs> He's like, I've taken. I I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> and his laugh, I love his laugh, by the way. I just love it when it comes from deep within inside of you because it's so authentic. I love that. So the thing is is that you guys can do this. You can do this. This is your time. This is our time. Make the shift. Make the shift today. Believe again. Love again. Have the worship team come up. Oh, I never want to stop. And honestly, Wednesdays and Sundays can't come fast enough for me. Let's keep the lights up for a minute. Before we go today, we wanna, I want to pray for you. And some of you are, have been walking in a lot of shame some of you are like, man, you came and visited today, and you just—I know, I know. Sheesh, I, I appreciate that, really. Though you looked like bucket cheerleaders back there, like you guys should get a little cheerleading move back there for me. You know, sometimes I just move right into what God's saying, and you know, I—I I intentionally will not receive an offering at that time. Look some of you really got touched today and this word was for you. And I'll keep developing this as the Lord leads each week and we'll let him choreograph this service in our life. And if God says go for it and I've captured your heart, I don't want to stop to just receive an offering. But we stop to receive offerings because one, it's a part of our worship. And some of you come expectant to give. And some of you need to be challenged to trust the Lord more and give because everything you have comes from him. So before we pray for you, I want to take a moment to receive an offering. We're a nonprofit organization, and we're able to do what we do because people give. So I want to ask you guys to give. And what we're going to do is we're going to receive an offering, and then we're going to pray for you. And we're going to pray for you, all right? So you can grab your checkbooks. You can make checks out to Rock City Church. Remember, if you didn't bring finances, you can always give online anytime at rockcitycorpus.com. Okay? Given what you have faith for today. Given what you have faith for. You're not going to hear that often. What do you have faith for today? Come on up, ushers, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done and what you're doing. Man, Lord, never stop, please, God, never stop. And we won't stop. Use us more than ever before. Give us the ability to do what you want us to do. I bless all of you mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pass the buckets. Just stay seated for a moment. I didn't get to one of the things I wanted to say today. That's okay. God willing, I'll share it with you next week. <clears throat> Paul's talking about, actually, I'm sorry, it's the writer of Hebrews. We don't, we don't fully know that that's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus is our high priest, that he learned obedience through suffering, and now he works out our salvation perfectly to those who obey. I'll just touch on it briefly. The word obey, many of you have heard about obedience, and I've been to churches where everything's about obey, obey, obey. If you don't have faith to God, it's, man, if you don't have faith, how can you obey? Abraham had faith first, then obedience. You have to have them both, but first faith. The word "obey" means to hearken diligently to what the Lord is saying, which means you, in order to hearken, you have to hear. Hence, let those who have ears to hear hear. And then Peter, um, the writer of Hebrews, goes on to say that Jesus was chosen in the order of Melchizedek. If you look up the name Melchizedek, see, Melchizedek was. I guess you could say Melchizedek was like Jesus' spiritual father, really, because Jesus was the successor. In the order of means Jesus succeeded. He was in the line of Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which is now Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. Salem is shalom in Hebrew, which is peace. Isn't this fun stuff? I just love this. Man, I love this. Melchizedek. You guys ready for an awesome revelation? You know what the name Melchizedek means? It means, it means patriarch of fire. Go look it up. Hence, God is a consuming fire. And it's the fire of his love And he goes on to say, the writer of Hebrews says, I have so much more to tell you about the high priest and the lineage of Christ, but I can't because you're dull of hearing. Don't be that guy. Just tell him, Lord, open my ears. Say that right now, Lord, open my ears. So there's mysteries and revelations and vastness of his greatness that you won't get if you're dull of hearing. So you say, Lord, I don't want to be dull of hearing. You know what the word dull means? It means lazy and sluggish. And you know where we tend to be the most lazy? In gathering up our daily bread. That's why the manna was a test. You guys need to hear this word. This is an incredible revelation I'm giving you. Just listen for a moment, please. The test was in the manna. The daily bread. That will you do whatever it takes. I'll get you the most, I will see the most on fire, city-changing, nation-changing church. You will be lit up When you spend time with him, because he's there waiting. This morning, when I got up for the sunrise, I went and sat by the water and I turned my ignition off and started crying because it was like, man, I stepped right in with him because he was waiting. Many times I've stopped my car by the water and he said, Ah, I've been waiting. It doesn't mean he's not with me all the other times, but it means that this one time of gathering my daily bread is so special. And he loves it so much that he sets aside time and reserves it just for you. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. Break the dull hearing. Do not be sluggish and lazy. Stop being lazy. You have no excuse to be lazy. There's no such thing as lazy Christianity. And dull, sluggish, and lazy leads to stupidity. If you look up the word stupid, it's the word dull. Dull. There's no stupidity in the kingdom, people. And just process for a moment. Just gave you a big chunk of food right there. All right, now close your eyes for a moment. There's nothing but the blood. Every crimson area, though your sins be a scarlet, I'm sorry, every scarlet area, He turns into perfect white snow. So Father, I just make a sacrifice right now and I present all these people to you. Create in us a clean heart. I want you all to pray this. Say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Pick me, cut me, make me, and dispatch me. Then pick me, cut me, make me, send me. It's a cyclical pattern. It's a pruning. Say it, Lord, prune me. Any dead branches in my life, prune them out. Wash me in your blood, Lord. Let's just sing that chorus and then we'll go home.
1: Alleluia, Jesus,
0: you Come on, close your eyes and let's sing. Let's just have a moment with the Lord together right now. watering your heart from heaven right now. So I present you to the Lord as a sacrifice this morning. It's what pastors do. And I present my own self, and we make a sacrifice right here. You are that sacrifice. So we present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord, Romans 12, 1. And we'll make a decision to not be conformed to the patterns of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and I speak mind renewal not brainwashing mind renewal over you to know that Jesus loves you I deposit that into you the love and the beauty and the wonder of Christ and I declare you're going to be so on fire I speak a fire God inside of you that you're going to step into who you were always created to be you're going to be lit up. No more shrinking back. No more fear. No more victim mentality. I just command your spirit to be on fire right now. I present you to the Lord. I make a sacrifice for sin. And if you have been in sin, whatever it is, pornography, addiction, lust, you name it. Greed, in the name of Jesus Christ. Fear, it can be sin. Worry, apathy, doubt. Whatever the sin is, I make a sacrifice right now and I kill that in your life in Jesus' name. I kill it and I offer you up to the Lord just as you are. The blood of Jesus crucifies every demonic thing that would try to manifest in this place and in your life any longer. Be renewed, be transformed. Come alive, son, come alive, daughter. Come alive and be lit on fire. You're sons of Christ in the order of Melchizedek. He's the God of peace. He's the God of fire. And I speak peace and fire to your life. Get fired up. Come on, get so fired up. Get so fired up. Stop worrying about that thing. Have faith towards God. Repent from dead works say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to shift the way I think, and I'm going to stop living like a a dead person, and I'm going to come alive in you, and I'll let you crucify the old me. Just make that your prayer, Lord. Crucify the old me. This is your time to shine. This is your time to shine. You have been listening to a message from David Bindead senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!